alcohol, how it would inebriate us and cloud our thinking and our judgments. We are told to do the opposite. Come to your senses. Be awake. Look around. The enemy is so sneaky. He wants to come in the back door. He's not a gentleman. He's not going to ring the doorbell or knock on the door. He's not going to do that for you. He's going to come in, and he is, he's got a plan. He is going to bring division, division ever so slyly in your life. And we have to be alert to this. We have to be aware of his strategies. And there's, but there's an antidote we're going to be looking at. But I want you to know right now, this is a battle. The devil doesn't take this lightly. He has a lot of helpers to bring division in the body of Christ. He's already done that in the world. There's a lot of division. That's why there are wars. That's why people are, are saying, uh, you know, we, th- this is the way to peace. And the world comes up with all of these ideas of peace that are not going to work because they appeal to things that we can do to get along. And the bottom line is the problem is me. Now, I don't just mean me, Mike Curtis. I mean us individually. It, it starts with me. That's, that's what the problem is. That's why I need to be rescued from my sin and my addiction to sin. And the world doesn't get that message. It just says, you know, I, we got this. We can come up. Let's just get together. Let's get a bunch of nation, national leaders together, and we're going to come up with an amazing plan to bring world peace. It's not going to happen. We will continue to see wars because evil men will always arrive. And many times it's because good men do nothing. But there's always going to be issues because the problem is our heart that that Jesus needs to heal. That's why we need to oppose him. That's why we need to be sober. Don't, Don't fall asleep at the wheel here. You're going into enemy territory here. Be careful. Look around, walk circumspectly, not just so focused on what's ahead. You've got you to glance, you've got to see your, if you're driving, you've got to see the side view mirrors. You know, praise God for rumble strips on the side of the road late at night when you're driving several hours. And I don't do too well with that. And my eyes start closing and every now and then I'll hear, blah, 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 blah. you know what I'm talking about? What does that do? That Get off the side of the road, you idiot, or you're about to crash. And I'm so grateful for rumble strips, okay? And God is, some of us, God is trying to get your attention. You're going over some rumble strips. And he's saying, be sober, be circumspect, be alert. Your devil, the devil, he, he's, trying to, he's trying to be so tricky and get into your life and into these relationships. Careful. Don't let him do it. James says, he says, you need to press into God. You think you got the answer? Eh, Don't think so. God has the answer. You got to humble yourself. Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. James says, submit to God. God. I feel like it's all their fault. And God is saying, let's start with God. What's going on here, God? What do you need to do? So let's do this. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. And we're going to look at some principles, just some very practical type of principles that we can live out in our lives that can help us get along so we can go along. 
<laughs> I pulled some of the, many of the leaders together <clears throat> about a month and a half ago, I guess it was, end of November anyway. And we had just gone through as a church the book of Romans. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I said, here's what I'd like us to do. I'm not going to do this this morning. I'm going to just share the principle that we gleaned from it. But in, I, we had, I had us look at Romans 12, except we looked at verses 9 through the end of the chapter. And I said, it's like one bullet point after the other of practical Christian living. It's, it's relational in orientation, all of these principles. It's not like the lone Christian or, you know, how do I resist temptation? It's, it's how do we get along? Love must be sincere. Hate what's evil. Cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another. That's family love right there. That's what Greek word means, family love. Preferring one another above yourself. Relational principles. And I said this. I said, I'd like us right now. Let's just, we, we went through maybe the first paragraph at the most. I don't even think we got through that. And I said, I want you to look at each of these principles. Love must be sincere, for example. Now, I want you to go back into the first 11 chapters of Romans, and I want you to tell me the biblical principle of how you are going to be able to make love sincere in your life. And with each of these, we found that Paul had taken some verses and principles he had shared in the first 11 chapters, and now he's saying with each of these very practical principles in Romans 12, here's how you can live it out. So I'm telling you this because we're going out to read from verses 16 to the end of the chapter, and this is rooted in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And therefore, you need to realize it's rooted in the cross and the resurrection. If we could boil down those 11 chapters to any theme, it would be the cross and the resurrection. What did Jesus really do for us so that the old man in me is truly crucified and those desires that say revenge, be defensive, fight back? We say, wait a second, what did the cross teach us? So let's look at these several verses. From verse 16 on, it says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Interesting how he says, live in harmony. And then he says, do not be proud. Because we've been talking about humility, haven't we? Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now, I'm just going to pause there for a moment. He, he's not saying to you, whatever... The world sees as right. Be careful to do with that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the good that you do, don't do it in a closet. Don't do it apart from the world. Don't live your Christianity in your home only. Live it out there in the world when the boss ridicules you and, and just steps all over you and humiliates you in front of everybody. That's where you need to live out your Christianity to so be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Let everyone see Jesus in you, and that's his point here. He's not talking about compromise. If it is possible, listen to this, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone far as it depends on you. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. 
On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How then do we overcome evil with good? What is this good? I'm going to just share three very basic principles. There's many, many more books have been written on this. I'm just going to take a few minutes, what, I have, what time I have left, and I want to share just a few principles with you. Three of them. Very simple. Number one, excuse me. Before I share, here we go. Before I share those three principles with you, let me just quickly recap from James. Number one, we are to press into God and surrender. We're to be humble so that we can receive greater grace because this is a matter of relationships. Number two, be sober. Come to your senses. Focus on Christ. Satan, the accuser, has sharp teeth. He's ready to devour. Be careful. He desires to operate through people. And I I just wrote down uh, earlier in the week, I just wrote down some observations as I was praying through this. I mean, I knew I was going to be preaching. Actually, I thought I was going to be preaching the sermon last Sunday. And God had me preach on what I did and preach this sermon this week for whatever reason. But as I was just praying through this, God spoke to my heart and, and I wrote down just a few things, just a few things. The church today has acquired sharp teeth. Not to sink them into the rich truths of Scripture, nor the self-sacrificing life principles Jesus sacrificed himself for, but we sink our razor-sharp teeth into one another. When we are hurt, we react with lightning speed. We lash out and cut. The sword in our hand is no longer the word of God's Spirit that appeals and heals, but the spirit of spite that accuses and abuses. As the famous atheist Friedrich Nietzsche once charged the church, you will have to look more redeemed if I am to believe in your Redeemer. I heard someone humorously say, grass is always greener over the septic tank. Let me add, but nothing flourishes over septic relationships. So I'm going to lay these things before you from this passage, number from Romans 12. Number one, don't seek revenge. Don't react. Young man, wounded, confiding in his friend, says, you know so-and-so, he is just such a know-it-all. I'm tired. Every time he wants to make a point, he'll walk up to me and he'll start pounding me with his finger in my chest. And he, he just how much he knows, he's such a know-it-all. But you know what? He says to his friend, he's confiding and gossiping about his other friend too. He says, I've come up with an answer to this. I am going to take dynamite and strap it to my chest with a pressure plate. And the next time he pounds my chest with his finger, he's going to blow his hand off. How many of you think that will work? (laughs) But don't we do that? 
in our desire to seek vengeance, is it just the guy's hand, the person's hand that gets blown off? No, a whole lot more than that. You're going to get taken out. Revenge destroys you. Bitterness creeps into your spirit. And it sinks roots. It doesn't just come as a friend to console you with thoughts. Oh, I'll never do that. But it's nice to think about them. And I just, I just want to vent. No, those thoughts are going to take root and they will eventually become action. Maybe not so that you end up killing that person, which is what you're thinking, but you will kill them with words. You will gossip and slander about them. You will, in a conversation, overreact, and you will say things that are barbs and hurt them. Any of you ever done that before? I'd raise both of my feet, but I won't be able to stand. The truth is, we, we do this church. We get hurt, and so we want to hurt back. We even feel justified like we are on God's mission. I've, I've, I've got to teach this person respect, and he's not respecting me. I mean, I, I'll, I'll show him, or I'll show her, or we get into it with our spouse, and it's like, man, this is the umpteenth dozen. That's an expression my mom would use, you know, umpteenth dozen. Where did that ever come? Anyway, this is the umpteenth dozen time. I'm going to put a stop to this one, and we say things, and we put them in their place. hurt them. And we feel so justified. And Paul is saying, don't seek revenge. Revenge has a boomerang effect. It always hurts us as well as them. And Satan uses us. Here's the truth. The last time someone hurt you and you hurt them back, Satan was speaking. Speaking. And Paul now says, Guys, do, do you want to crush Satan under your feet? You got to obey. You got to humble yourself. And you cannot. You bite your tongue. And by God's grace, you crucify that desire to want to put them in their place. Don't do that. The answer is the cross. Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross and they were hurling insults at him, he did not, when he was reviled, First Peter says he did not revile in return. When he was slandered, he didn't slander them. When they spoke negatively against him, he didn't call down 10,000 angels and have them kick them in the backside and pull out their swords and put them and, and take them down. He, he didn't seek revenge. He didn't come at them. What did he say? Father, help me out here. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Could you have that same type of empathetic response? Because I can guarantee you this far more often than not, the very thing that they did to you, you have done before. You have hurt other people in that way. But now when it's you, oh, wow. Now that really hurts. And we say things. And it hurts. And, and, and Paul is simply saying, leave room for God's wrath. Do you not think as a father that he's going to be able to take care of you? Do you think that you've got to shoulder this punishment when your child disobeys and it humiliates you? 
you got you to teach this little rascal something. And, and, and you overreact in anger and in discipline. I'm all for discipline with love. But we overreact. Why? Because we feel humiliated. We don't walk in this idea of forgiveness. Jesus, the very purpose of the cross was to be able to forgive others. He lived it and walked it out, and he calls us to. So instead of reacting, we act in love and we forgive. And I'm not saying that when people around you are just constantly wiping their dirty feet on you, treating you as a welcome mat, that you welcome that. I'm not saying that. But there is a way to handle this that is truly in love. Number one, don't seek revenge. Forgive. Leave room for God to be your defender. Do you doubt that God loves you? Do you doubt that God is your father and he can do this? Now, I know what it's like to be a dad, and when someone says something negative about my wife or my children, I want to step in like a, a papa bear it, <laughs> for Christmas. I think this was a positive thing, but Meredith's uh, sister, Julie, gave us each an ornament, and she said, this is, this is uh, it's, it's symbolic about you, and each of us got something different, and mine was a bear. And I said, a bear? Like, Mike, you're a real bear to live with. What is she saying? And, she, and then she just texted back, Papa Bear. Okay, Papa Bear. And that, I, I assumed that that was supposed to be a good thing. <laughs> Papa Bear, defender, protector, yes. I, that's what I want to do. See, that's what the Father, or your Heavenly Father, that's who he wants to be for you. Hey, hang on, God. I got this one. Oh, yeah, I got this one. I'll teach them. Wait, wait. No. You know what, God? I'm going to humble myself. This is your battle. I need your grace. So right now, you show me how to walk this out in obedience. I'm going to forgive them. I will not hold a grudge. I will not be quick to accuse back at them. I am not going to put them in their place. Rather, I will step into their place. That's point number two. See things from their perspective. Believe the best about them. Don't be naive. I'm not talking about you. Be naive. If they really are seeking to hurt, because you're going to have enemies out there. They're totally blinded. They do things that are wrong. I am not saying, well, it, it must be okay. I'll just believe that what they're doing is the right thing. No, 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 no. Believe the best about them. Well, let's unwrap that a little bit. We need to step into their shoes. We need to see life from their perspective because it may very well be there is a tremendous truckload of hurt in their heart. And the last thing that you want to do is deal with it too strongly. Some people have only one tool in their tool belt to deal with problems, and it's a hammer. 
And when we see nails, oh, yeah, let me pull out my trusty hammer. I'll take care of this. I'll put the hammer back in. It's coming. You know, after a while, when you put a deck in with nails and the nails start popping, you got to hammer that back in. That's right. But what happens when a fly starts flitting around and rests on your spouse's head? I got a hammer for that one. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. Yet yeah, some, it's like that's all the, it's the only tool we think we have in our tool belt, the hammer. No. Let's step back and then step into their shoes and let's see life just a little bit from their perspective. I'm going to read a, a little story here to you I thought was cute and was, I think, helped me see things a little differently. A man is in a hot air balloon and he comes to this realization, I am lost. And he reduces his altitude and he spots a woman below He descends a little bit more and he shouts, excuse me, can you help me? I promised a friend I would meet him in an hour, I would meet him an hour ago, but I don't know where I am. The woman below replied, you're in a hot air balloon hovering approximately 30 feet above the ground. You're between 40 and 41 degrees north latitude and between 59 and 60 degrees west longitude. You must be an engineer, said the balloonist. Why, I am, replied the woman. How did you know? Well, replied the balloonist, everything you told me is technically correct, but I have no idea what to make of your information, and the fact is I am still lost. Frankly, you've not been very much help at all. If anything, you've delayed my trip. The woman below responded, you must be in management. I am, he replied, the balloonist replied, but how did you know? Well said, the woman, you don't know where you are or where you are going. You have risen to where you are due to a large quantity of hot air. You made a promise which you have no idea how to keep, and you expect people beneath you to solve all your problems. The fact is you are in exactly the same position you were you were in before we met, and now somehow you've managed to make it all my fault. (laughs) I thought that was cute. It is so easy, church, from our own limited perspective to judge others. Why on earth would this person say what, they just don't like me. That's what it is. My spouse doesn't like me. Actually, my spouse hates me. So I got to take care of the, wait a second, how about if you climb into their shoes, into their position, why don't you think about this and pray about this? Ask God to give you some extra grace, greater grace, more humility, and you see it from their perspective, maybe your heart will begin to empathize with them a little bit more. And I've told you this story before, so I'll be brief with it, but just to remind you, when I was a, te- a teen leader <coughs> or teen pastor, whatever, uh, I, I was caring for 10 teens in a small church. And <clears throat> I remember one particular seventh grade boy by the name of Dwight was just always causing problems, just little things. And he was doing it to get people's attention. And he focused on two older boys who were in 12th grade, and they were the most popular in the group and had a lot of sway in the group. 
And so he would regularly create issues to just do stupid stuff to try and get their attention, hoping that maybe he would be able to get them to like him. Again, he was only in seventh grade. And these two older boys would do stuff to humiliate him and tease him, make fun of him, and try and put him in his place. And I pulled those two young guys aside and I said, look, what you're doing is wrong. Christ tells us not to seek revenge. Climb into his shoes. And I'm going to guess this is what you'll discover. He is an insecure seventh grade boy. He's looking for people to just pay attention and like him and be his friend. So here's my word of advice. Look past all of that stuff that he does. All those little antics that truly, I would have to agree, they were so bothersome. Look beyond that. Step into his shoes and be his friend. Just be his friend. How do you overcome evil? Overcome evil with good. Be his friend. Okay. So they started being his friend. They started hanging out with him, which Dwight thought was the coolest thing since sliced bread. And guess what happened? Dwight grew up. No, it didn't. It's not because it took many years for him to grow up. No, he grew up in seventh grade, and he re, it, it, and his behavior started to change. He started feeling accepted and loved, and God began to deal with his heart, and Dwight became a different person because they learned those principles. Not only do we not seek revenge, but we see things from their perspective. In the 1930s, American Airways. GM realized a problem, a major problem, with losing customers' luggage. So he pulled his station managers together throughout sending emails and memos to them. Be careful, station managers, to to watch over the customer's luggage. Do what you can so that you don't lose it. The problem persisted, no problem after problem that he was getting on his desk. He said, I got to deal with this. So he said, you know what? I'm going to have a little conference, and he called all of the station managers throughout the nation to the headquarters to speak to them. And then he spoke to the attendants, to all of, all of where they were, and he said, make sure you lose their luggage. So when they got there, none of them had their luggage for the entire weekend trip. I think they got the point. It's amazing how... Customers' reviews were um, were sky high, never losing their luggage again. Why? Because the station managers learned to step into the customer's shoes and realize this is a serious situation. We will do everything possible. It's amazing when you're desperate for change that you will change. It all changed. Policies changed. Work ethic changed. Lost luggage went way down. Maybe the problem really is our attitude and greater humility will allow us to not be quite so defensive, not accusatory, but teachable. It says here, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. How are you doing with that? It's a sad truth when you do everything you can toward peace and it still doesn't happen. But may I suggest that that is truly It is. In my personal life as a pastor, I would say that is rare. 
It happens. My heart breaks. It happens. You do what you can. You try to step into their shoes. You try to help them. And they pull out their hammer. You understand what I mean by that. But the truth is, we love as Christ loved. We overcome evil with good. The third thing I want us to see is that we never assume we ask them. We never assume. We ask them. We, we, we draw them out. We don't operate strictly by guesswork and just trying to step into our Now we have to ask them, draw them out, have a conversation, communicate, talk it out. Never assume. Ask them. The story's told of three very competitive brothers. <laughs> Their mother, who was just turning 90, uh, they wanted to celebrate her birthday, so they each got her a very expensive gift. The first brother said, you know what? I bought her a new house. It's huge. She's going to love it. The next brother said, I got her a new Mercedes. She's going to, everywhere she drives, she's just going to love her new Mercedes. And the third young man said, you know how much mother loves the, reading the Bible, and now that she's so old, she can't, so I bought a parrot. It's an incredible parrot. Oh, yes. I had this monk, excuse me, I had this parrot sent to a monastery, and the monks worked with the parrot to memorize the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation. He knows every single verse. All mother has to do is say, Quote me Genesis chapter 3, and he quotes Genesis chapter 3 flawlessly. They did ask me, though, that I had to donate $100,000 a year for 10 years, you know, feeling very impressed with himself. You know how much that is. And so the mother got all of these gifts and responded to each one with a letter. To the first, she says, James, thank you for the very big new house but I live in only one room and I have to clean the whole thing. To John, she wrote, John, thank you so much for the new Mercedes, but I'm so old, I don't get out anymore and I just stay at home. And plus, that driver is so rude. To George, she says, George, thank you. You were the only son who had enough common sense to give me what I wanted and what I needed. The chicken was delicious. <laughs> Can you say ouch? <coughs> wow. That was a million dollar mistake. Never assume. Ask questions. Don't eat the chicken. <laughs> Excuse me. It says here, if your enemy is hungry, how are you going to know he's hungry? You ask him. Feed him. And if he's thirsty, and how will you know he's thirsty? You ask him then give him something to drink. You see, in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Now, some have misunderstood this proverb. It's actually from the book of Proverbs. 
<clears throat> and their thinking goes like this. By feeding him and giving him something to drink, that is my enemy, I would get him so angry because he wants me to lash out at him, but I'm not going to. I'm going to act just like Christ, and he is just going to burn with anger. I'm sorry, but that smacks a little bit of revenge to me, doesn't it? Yeah. You see, they had a custom that uh, in our day, we go around and we go to our neighbor and say, I'm sorry, can we buy, can I borrow two eggs or can I buy, borrow a cup of sugar? And they say, sure, uh, can I, let me just give you two cups of sugar. But back in this day, in the, back in the day, the day, you didn't just have an oven that you could turn on, you know, 450 and, and cooked it. Isn't that what you do when something requires 325 and you have now half the time you put it to 450? Anyway, uh, you, you, you cook it, but you don't just turn the oven on to 450 because you have no oven. So what you had to do is at night you buried your coals to keep them warm and they wouldn't just burn up. And then in the morning you would uncover them. Now, granted, they burned down some, but now you put more coals, wood on it and such, and fan it into flame. But if you did run it, if the coals did burn out, you would have to borrow some coals. And you would carry those coals on your head. No, not directly on your head. I'm sure there was some sort of padding here. Yeah. Stray thought, sorry. <laughs> and you would go and you would borrow some coals. And if the, the neighbor was generous, they would heap the coals on your head and thereby be generous to you, even if you were an enemy. In doing this, we are being generous. In seeing them in need and asking them and inquiring, your heart is, how can I serve you? You see, when you are truly willing to win this battle for peace by crucifying self and seeing the needs of others and making your goal, I will meet those needs. You overcome evil with good. That is what Jesus taught what Paul is emphasizing here, this is what we need. What then does God need to do in us to refine us so that we get along in order to go along with people? I think God wants to heal some of our hurts. It's only when he heals our hurts that we can choose to forgive and heal others. I think he wants us to not hold grudges and lash out defensively. I think he wants us to have greater humility and a whole lot less pride. Let's not assume I'm right. Let me inquire. And not be led by our emotions, especially our negative emotions, but to be led by God. Because when we humble ourselves and submit to him, that's when he gives us what? More grace. So can I ask you again, how many of you would love to be able to see Satan trampled under your feet in relationships with your spouse, with your children, with that cranky next door neighbor, oh my goodness, with that boss that is constantly, man, he's so insecure. How many of you would love to see Satan crushed under your feet and bring Let's stand together. Let's pray about this. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we need to confess to you that some of us 
we have been truly so wounded and so hurt, we are reactionary at best. When people say things or do things, we are quick to get defensive. We are quick to speak harshly or fight back. We bring division. We bring disunity. And I'm just asking you, God, please heal our hearts and empower us to be able to forgive and not hold on to these grudges. When we find ourselves getting angry to realize maybe, just maybe, the issue is me. And God, you need to remove this bitterness and this hurt in my heart, this frustration and anger. I'm asking God, humble me. Teach me again to be the servant. And if I need to address a situation to do it with Christ's love, with what he wants to do and not what I want to do, please, God, we're desperate here. We need to see Satan crushed under our feet, and we need your grace to do it. We need to fully rely on you, God. Because, God, we're telling you right now, we can't do it. We've tried over and over and over, and we've failed. And, God, we need you. Step into this relationship and heal it, God. Please, Lord. No more conflict. No more battles with people. Just with my flesh. Just with Satan himself. And I'm asking God, please, may I win that fight. So, God. Enter your grace. Enter your love, your forgiveness, and empower us to that end, God. For the sake of your kingdom, in Jesus' name we pray.